Hi there, guys. Uh, welcome to the Sound of Crowd podcast season finale. I go by the name of Adrian Daniels. And if this is your first time listening, I just want you to know that this is the show where we speak with top Ghanaian founders, entrepreneurs, and creators from a Ghanaian heritage or interest with the aim of leaving you with meaningful takeaways that you can apply in your life, business, or career. Um, just to get some housekeeping out the way for today's show notes, please head over to thesoundofacrowd.com forward slash coffeeanku. That's K-O-F-I-A-N-K-U. So that's thesoundofacrowd.com forward slash coffeeanku. K-O-F-I-A-N-K-U. So today, just as I mentioned, we have Coffee Anku in the studio and he is a real estate investor. Um, he's also the partner for um, Ayumensa Park and Pokasi Heights. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. And you've all, you also do a few things outside of that as well. That's right. Well, it's great to have you in the studio. Thank you so much Thank for coming. I appreciate your time. Pleasure. It's great to be here. Likewise. I think we had our first conversation last year at um, the Ghanaian Londoners. Um, I think it was like a winter, autumn, winter event um, towards the end of the year. So I think I met you there. Mm-hmm. I don't think you, sp- I think you spoke a little bit. I did. You, you yeah. did speak a little bit. Yeah. And then. I, I try to keep it brief. Yeah. I think it's short and sweet. It's the best way to, to do it. And then, of course, I met you again over the summer. Adjo's moved to Ghana event. Once again, another GH Londoners event. Mm-hmm. And then after I spoke, I think you spoke after me. And every time you speak, even though it's quite short, you always have something valuable to say. So yeah, I just want to say um, I do appreciate every, every word that comes out of your mouth. Well, I, I hope we don't disappoint today. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm not putting too much pressure on you. Okay, so I mean, let's let's get straight into it. So um, recently, um, I know you attended the um, the Ghana Green Building Summit. Yes, right. And essentially, if I'm correct, is this basically based around um, looking at um, solutions for um, green green living and, and construction? Could you so tell it, us? A it bit brings the whole it? industry together. Yeah, looking at green construction, green building. Yeah. From the finance perspective, from the architectural perspective, building materials. Usually when you're thinking about green construction, you're looking at the energy use of the home. Mm-hmm. Um, so how the house powers itself. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking at solar or wind, um, some sort of alternative green energy system. You're also thinking about, um, are you able to insulate the home? Either against heat um, obviously in the UK, it's a different set of issues where you're trying to keep the heat in. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, you're looking at from, from various perspectives, the material, uh, the green dimensions in the construction process. Mm. Are you using an eco-friendly building material? So there are lots of just, even from the perspective of the home, yeah. there are lots of angles to the green story. Got you. So there's lots of diff- there's lots of moving parts that you need to consider, especially as a developer or someone that's construction constructing a home, or even someone that owns a home. You have to look at these different angles um, in terms of where green green um, green materials or green living can be applied, so that you can you know have more of a sustainable home or or, or deliver sustainable housing to the end user. Actually, I was I was in London during the. Hottest day on living record. Oh yes, you were here. I was really. Yeah. How was that for you? Well, actually, coming from a car, <laughs> <laughs> it's a walk in the park, isn't it? Wasn't an issue, but it did. Yeah. It did drive the point home. That yeah. As business owners, as developers, mm-hmm. it's a good idea to be thinking about carbon emission, um, about our energy use, and of course, just flicking between London, mm-hmm. which is has a, a massive carbon footprint. Oh, yeah. And a place like Ghana, where even today, a lot of our energy is green. Uh, we still have the largest man-made lake, or the second largest man-made lake on the planet um, okay. that's, that's, that's powering a huge amount of, uh, of, of hydro, yeah. power, which is green. Mm-hmm. Um, so our energy uses, our contribution to global warming from an African perspective is already quite low. So when we're thinking about green, it's not just simply carbon emission. It's also, how do we save the homeowner some money? Mm. Right? Can we insulate the house? So we've put in a UPVC roof for our latest development. And the thinking behind that is that it just drops the temperature. But a lot of middle-income homes have a metal roof, which just pulls in all kinds of heat and radiates it throughout the night. So if you've got a different building material, doesn't necessarily need to cost more, but it might need to 
require a bit more thinking in terms of how do we bring this into the country so that we have it when we need it yeah. from the logistics perspective. Um, but then you've got that enduring value, which isn't necessarily a driver on sales immediately, yeah. but over a period of time, people, they don't necessarily know why, but they're just more comfortable in your home. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing. Um, I think it's quite interesting because I think we're now in a day and age where green, sustainable living and green energy is quite trending at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've had like the, I think it's the COP27, those kind of events. And then, sure. um, you know, you've got carb, you know, all this talk about carbon credits and, you know, green planes and all of these green stuff coming up, the big push for electric vehicles. Sure. I think we're now starting to see, we're getting to the, day and age where there's going to be a whole ecosystem of green living and i think it's quite interesting to see how that also plays on africa as well especially mm-hmm. where there's so much sunlight um i do remember seeing an interview um of you um, with vanessa cambians mm-hmm. she went into one of the uh, the, the, the homes that you built in, in yeah, Pocasi. Pocasi heights, we're going to get to Pocasi heights very soon and um you know she started saying once she went inside the property she was saying oh it's so much cool in there and that goes back to what you just mentioned mm-hmm. how some of the materials um, how that makes an impact and even making the house cooler um, rather than more hotter, like it kind of like removes the heat a little bit. Sure, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's one of the, uh, maybe a colonial legacy, Yeah. but the cement block that we typically build with, it just, it draws in a lot of heat and then radiates it through the night. Mm. So yeah. that, that's one of the things we were looking at. And, and again, um, it works on many levels. If you have a solar backup in your home, it's just a lot easier to deal with than having to you know, fuss with the generator. It's loud and a bit dangerous. And uh, you know, if you've got kids who are asthmatic, which I do, um, you don't really want to be running a generator in the home for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, and just the, the prices are, are dropping almost every year in terms of what it costs to put in a solar system, um, small, small unit, an inverter, battery, a couple panels on the roof. And that's something that we... Um, as developers, we're looking to actually, at some point, possibly even put together a microgrid mm. okay. so that you've got a community that can generate all of its own power. Yeah, um, that's, that's, that's excellent. And I think this is a good segue to start talking about um, your, your projects, so mm-hmm. Pogwasi Heights and Ayamensa Park, because I think you, both of those projects, you've implemented some sort of um, solar, s- solar energy, solar packs. So, yeah. So we've got the... Um, Interesting, the, the more middle-income housing project, which is um, Pokwasi Heights, mm-hmm. we, we have a backup solar system in every house. So that's part of the, part of the package. Those are, it's a two-bedroom house, expandable, mm-hmm. $55,000. I'm really happy that we're able to deliver these green features, even though we're at a, at a lower price point than Ayamensa Park, which is more around $200,000. Yeah. Um, so with, with Ayamensa Park, it was a, an option that we could put in a solar roof if you wanted to, and then you would pay an extra uh, fee for that. Okay, so it's optional, but with um, um, Pocasi Heights, it's Standard. actually it's, it's inclusive. Mm-hmm. Nice, very nice. Okay. Um, yeah, let's, I think let's, let's probably talk about Pocasi Heights. Um, actually, before we get into that, actually, I know, of course, um, peeps, for those that don't really know you and maybe you heard your name, maybe mm-hmm. through um, maybe one of the YouTubers, like Vanessa Canby, What Am I, etc., I don't, know if you, I don't know if it makes sense for you, to, for you to just to give a quick elevated pitch about your, your background, just, just for those that don't know you, just a really quick one. Sure, sure. And then we can come back into Pokwasi Heights. So I've been living and working in Ghana for almost 20 years. Incredible. And um, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, yeah. in the Midwest, and spent most of my, my upbringing in that part of the world. Ended up on the East Coast of New York. University. I've always been involved in real estate in Ghana. Mm-hmm. So, although my, my family, uh, back when my father's a retired oncologist, but he was always a real estate investor, and my mother was always a real estate investor. So, we grew up in the property space, even as kids. <laughs> um, both of my parents managed the uh, portfolio of rental properties in Marco Island. Um, so, my father, uh, very much the, the, uh, the savvy real estate investor. Um, started buying a lot of property in Ghana in the mid-90s. Oh. And it was something that, at, at the time, we didn't really understand uh, the vision mm-hmm. and the potential upside and the potential. So um, it took a while 
but with time, you just you saw the growth. And even now, I was leaving Ghana about a month ago, and I was. Uh, it's the economic situation is has uh, been very challenging to say the least. I think one of the, the worst performing concern, uh, currencies, yeah, globally. Yeah, and um, but I was st- I still left heartened um, by the direction the country is going, regardless of some of the economic indices. That we've got such a young population and so much opportunity, and we're also connecting in, particularly. You know, that's why I'm really excited about the show with these nodes, these diaspora nodes that we've got these. Um, groups of Ghanaians and African diaspora in literally the wealthiest countries in the world. Mm. And they're linking up. Mm. So it's Accra, it's the Caribbean, it's um, black Americans and Ghanaian Americans and Nigerian Americans that are excited about Accra. They're bringing money into the space. So, you know, the, the economic situation is also quite, uh, quite bleak in the UK. And there are significant challenges in the States. Mm. But when I just look at the fundamentals, the amount of creativity, the, the, the age of the population, the dynamism, and the direction that, that West Africa is going, mm. I can't help but be optimistic. You should. I mean, you shared an article on LinkedIn, I think it's from The Guardian, on like how Africa's essentially going to be the future. Like Africa's shaping up to be that continent that everyone's going to race to. And I think we can start to see that especially when you mention that the youngest population in the world is based in the continent of Africa. And the, 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 I think the human capital, the, 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 just the potential of, of the, those people on, on the continent, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable. I think there's so much potential we're yet to tap into, especially when the years, you know, when, when we see the years play out, we can see what they're going to be able to achieve. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm always just kind of stunned by this. So if you look at, at the population dynamics, Europe and Africa, mm-hmm. 1950, mm-hmm. you had twice as many people in Europe as on the whole continent of Africa. Well, by the end of the century, there'll be 10 times as many Africans as Europeans. Why do you think that is? There are a whole host of reasons. One, just the, you know, the access to, to medicine. Um, and also, I think here, people are just doing the math. And having more than one kid, it's, uh, it's such, a, such a difficult proposition. Yeah. Um, and you've got a country that's built. It's a developed country. Adding value is very challenging. Finding places to invest and, and get a healthy return very hard in this part of the world at this point. I think you're right. Because um, in Ghana, you can probably, if you, re- if you bought a property and you rented it out, especially if it's making a one bed, two bed in the crowd, you could probably get returns maybe minimum maybe 12 percent if i'm correct 12 percent upwards sure and i think the more compelling case is that i remember when um i mensa had a one-lane road in front of it what sorry a one-lane like a two-lane road a very small dusty road this little mango farm you know now you've got 200 units townhouses all sold yeah but you're not going to have that here (laughs) You know, when I go back to Upper West Side in Manhattan, it looks like it looked when I left it 20 years ago. Yeah. There's no place in Ghana where you can say, where you can say that. Yeah. And it's just densifying and there are more people. So they, people need basic services. They need food. They need housing. They need manufacturing. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, post-COVID, with the economic turmoil, there's a push towards regionalism, a mm. step away from globalism. Mm. You know, where we're saying we cannot be reliant on food producers in Thailand to feed our families here. You know, or somebody producing face masks in Beijing for the whole continent of Europe. Yeah. So that creates opportunities for us. It certainly does. It certainly does. And I think Ghana, I mean, there's so, there's so much we're blessed with and there's so many industries and mm-hmm. potential industries that could be uh, existing in Ghana. I mean, there's, I mean from agriculture to... Um, maybe manufacturing, you know, understand. I mean, I've seen so many amazing inventions and amazing industries in, in the country. And culture. Yeah. I mean, you have a, a little vegetable, is it greenhouse vegetable? Yeah, we, we do. Uh, we're looking at, at indoor farming as well. I've got a, uh, a tomato um, greenhouse. Mm-hmm. It's about four times the size of an Olympic swimming pool. Whoa. 
that we're producing around the year, which is good because typically tomatoes, um, so West Africa, Ghana, Nigeria were the largest consumers per capita tomato-based products. Hmm. We're importing tin tomatoes. Doesn't make sense, does it? Wild. <laughs> does not make sense. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Uh, but, like, you know, we're talking about opportunities, opportunities, and, and where you, you can see the success of West African music globally. Um, and, and also art, you know, in the visual art space, fine arts. Um, the opportunities for film are endless. Mm-hmm. Or I think, you know, our ability to innovate, if you look at global culture and the contributions that Africans and folks from the African diaspora have made, that, um, you know, oftentimes not in a way that's economically empowering, but I think that's beginning to change in very significant ways. Absolutely. I think that now, I think now Africans thanks to technology and other infrastructure and other, other things, is now enabling them to be able to take control of their financial freedom through different mm-hmm. developments that we're seeing. So, for example, um, I interviewed like a gospel artist, Kingsley Amplifor, last, mm-hmm. last season, and he was telling me that although he gets a lot of attention, he, you know, he gets invited to perform in lots of different places, when it comes to the music online that he has, uh, he struggles to monetize it as a Ghanaian. And mm. And he he was he was saying platforms like Patreon and other platforms out there now helping to bridge the gap between you know the the native Ghanaian living in Ghana and of course the West and mm-hmm. the tools opportunities that they have over there. You know, um, I think you made a very very good point. I mean, that's why probably in Ghana, like you you couldn't have um, like maybe you couldn't really do well in terms of movies because at the moment you know you don't have like hundreds and hundreds of cinema chains like you do have in, in the West, in the US or the UK. But what we can do now is that we have like Netflix and Amazon Prime Video where you know the filmmaking can try and get the, the film onto those platforms and try and make money that way. So I think that the Absolutely. Gap There's going to be a bridged. point when there'll be 5 million people in India mm. who are watching films that are being produced in Kumasi. Looking forward to that. You know, and we've seen it. You saw it with hip hop. Yeah, you know, it was it was in the back culturally. It was in the backwaters in the Bronx. Uh, now it's everywhere. Whole <laughs> Korea, Eastern Europe. Yeah. So the ability to project and monetize elements of culture and to create intellectual property um, and and real estate. There are people who are saying, "Listen, we don't like the direction that politics are uh, are heading in uh, certain parts of the world." In the West, in France, and 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 Europe, we want to own a bit of Africa. Absolutely, you know, we're African people. We whether you're Black American or or Jamaican, everybody wants that visceral connection to the motherland. Yeah, and you know, I think one of the issues is around affordability. Um, buying a home in in Ghana is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, and the credit facilities typically aren't aren't there. But we have to think creatively about how to address this type of situation. Absolutely. Let's talk about Pokwasi Heights. Um, let's double tap on there, Kofi. So, mm-hmm. um, of course, Pokwasi is on the outskirts of Accra. Um, I used to live there. I grew up there as a kid. Oh, really? Yeah, I grew up there as a kid. Um, my, my family uh, built a home there. And, you know, I used to attend Morning Star. So That's I used fantastic. to kind of commute from, from there. Um, so over the years, I've seen Pokwasi go from being almost nothing, just land and bushes and trees and mm-hmm. a few things here and there to being almost a, a complete vibrant town. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the interchange project as well, which I think is going to connect the dots for a lot of people in, in the area. Um, so, I mean, tell me why, why do you think Pokwasi in, is, is going to do well in the future? And why did you choose Pokwasi for your next project? Well, my, again, my, my father, he had that vision. He bought land there 20 years ago, Wonderful. 20, 25 years ago. Mm. And uh, at the time, it was a corn farm. Like you said, just growing sugar cane. I remember folks hunting, uh, <laughs> you know, they're hunting deer and all kinds of things. And it was just a kind of interesting, lovely, lush environment. And I think he was attracted just by the landscape. We had no idea that a $70 million interchange was in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think oftentimes when people talk about their success, you know, there's some sort of grand narrative and they had everything planned to a T. <laughs> but sometimes you just get lucky. And also sometimes it's multi-generational. 
Mm-hmm. It is. You know, that it's it's a lot of folks, you know, they, they hear my accent, they see some buildings and they think, oh, I must have arrived in Accra, you know, two years ago and then <laughs> this came out of nowhere. But it's really been a huge amount of influence from both of my parents. Um, and, you know, the, the access to the land um, to put together Pokwasi Heights. So that was, um, and for us, it's, it's not difficult to build something um, and pitch it at the highest point in the market. But I've always been interested in saying, okay, well, how do we leverage this asset, this land that we have access to, mm. to try and do something more impactful and create a, a real estate product that's not just a big home on half an acre, um, but creates a community where people can leverage the fact that they've got neighbors um, to help assist with, with security, um, maybe to defray the costs of certain infrastructure, which is what we did um, at Diamonds Park. Mm-hmm. We increased the densities. But typically, if you saw before we entered that space, we had a lot of kind of bungalows on little plots. So, okay, look, we could actually double or triple the density. We've got 200 houses on 12 acres. Yeah. But instead of everybody having a large backyard, mm-hmm. We put in a, like a big park in the middle. Um, okay, look, we don't have a huge amount of road here, but let's increase the densities and give people a better road than they're used to getting. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and we're doing the same thing at a lower price point at Pokwasi Heights. Yeah. So it's, it's a similar philosophy. Um, how, do we, how do we do more with less? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we provide more value for buyers? How do we create something? Like I, I lived in Pokwasi um, I lived in Aimetsu Park for about a year with the family. Mm. I would be very happy to live in, in, uh, in Pokwasi Heights as well. Yeah. So we try and pitch it to a certain standard of quality and not say, okay, look, just because the house is $55,000 doesn't mean the tile work needs to be poor. Mm. All sense. the walls can be straight. We can still add, create a lot of value just with, in the craftsmanship. Yeah. So these are just kind of a few touches um, and again, it's, it's literally the same distance. I think it's 23 kilometers from the airport, mm. both Ayamensa Park. Either way. And yes. Wow. So Ayamensa Park, what, one direction in Accra are you going towards? You're heading to, to Ibri. Ibri. Oh. Gotcha. It's a straight shot. Yeah. You may get stuck in that Medina traffic. Yeah, okay. but it's, yeah, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> a, that's a pretty, pretty straight shot. And yeah. then, you know, with, with Pukwasi, you're just, you know, you swing through Achimota. Yeah. There's a, a lovely mall. Mm-hmm. Achimota Mall, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, and then you're also some of our buyers as well. Mm-hmm. For them, they like that access to Kumasi because you're literally on the highway that gets you uh, into Kumasi. So if you're somebody that that uh, spends their weekends in Kumasi, <laughs> you can get a jump on traffic. Yeah. So all of this infrastructure that we've just discussed that's been put in place has that influenced you to um, choose Pokasi as your next project because you've started to see the bridge, you know, the roads come into place. You now. You know, things are getting a lot more expensive in Accra, especially property. Sure. Maybe that maybe that the diaspora or maybe others are coming to the mm-hmm. country and driving property prices up. So people are looking outside. Sure, sure. Accra. Are those some factors that, you know, influence you to decide, okay, let me use this land for my next project and make it an affordable product that can appeal to a lot more people? Absolutely. So I mean I, I try and shy away from the word affordable because the question is always affordable to whom? Right, and even when we were selling houses at forty-five thousand dollars, yeah, ninety percent of our buyers were diasporians. Yeah, and what we found was it wasn't so much that I mean, obviously there are plenty of Ghanaians who can spend fifty thousand dollars in a house. Yeah, but they weren't a lot of Ghanaians who live in Ghana. Their tastes are a bit different than the diasporians, right? And they also have a higher tolerance for buying land because they know that they can visit it and they can secure it by building over a period of time. Whereas if you're sitting in New York. You've, you've had bad experiences buying land remotely, um, trying to build and getting people to manage the construction for you. So us as developers, we're servicing a very small segment of the market. And it's probably less than 2% of the market that's buying developer-driven product. Most people are sorting out their, their housing needs on their own. As in they're buying land themselves and building, building it themselves or they're renting. Yeah, or you might get a contractor to build for you or... You know, yeah. but in terms of developers, where you're like we're doing, you know, we we basically do 
groups of 50 units. So we've got like 12 units, then another 12, and then another 20, 24 in construction. Um, but at the moment, you've got yeah. 24, nice, okay. Um, but, you know, most folks that live in homes in Ghana, they're not living in those, those uh, type of developments. You know, they'll buy a, a quarter of an acre and, and build and wall it. And mm-hmm. it's also a hedge against inflation, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, essentially, you can use a currency as a store of value, and you can also use it as a medium of exchange. But when you see significant depreciation, and it's the same in the UK as it is here, principles apply universal. Yeah, I mean the velocity the velocity of infl- of inflation is is higher. But if you look and and look at a house that was bought in the states fifty years ago, and you look at the value of the house, and you look at the value of the money, I mean the money that you if you had kept that cash, as opposed to and put it in the, put it in a bank or a vault, mm. it would have lost ninety five percent of its value. Absolutely. Right, they're printing money in the U.S. like it's going in style. We saw some other thing in the in the U.K. Quantitative easing. Yeah. Right. So it's a time where we really have to kind of like think about how do we protect that value. You know, I've, I had a uh, an, an uncle who got his pension in Ghana recently, and literally in the space of six months somebody who's worked his whole life and 50 percent of the value of that pension disappeared well you know, as the cd devalue has lost 50 percent of the value so imagine having worked six years you go to redeem you know what what uh what is accrued to you and half it's gone you're saying take your money and put it into an asset that can appreciate in value rather than just letting it be idle well, we, we know what governments do, you know, and I think that was the move towards Bitcoin is to try and create an apolitical money where they couldn't print it in the central banks. But obviously there are challenges with that as well, um, probably for another podcast, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? But like you can see the instinct is there where people say, okay, look, we understand cash as a, as a medium of exchange, but as a store of value, we're concerned mm. right? because we just don't have autonomy over it. And um, can lose value. Yeah. So yeah, I think that there's there are many ways of approaching it. This um, there's a, a debt fund out of California, and I, I'm fascinated with what they're doing because what they're doing they're buying housing contracts on the continent, right? I think most of their work has been in Guinea, and it's a fascinating model. So it's a basically an end run around the banks, mm. right? Where they're saying, okay, well, listen. We, we believe in this diaspora story that you've got Africans who are desperate to own homes on the continent and the banks aren't giving them credit. So we'll take on that risk. Wow. So what they're giving now, they're now giving out loans so that people... It's fascinating. So it's not a mortgage. Okay. Right? So because they finance the developer. Oh. So what they do is if you buy a house from me, mm-hmm. you, put your, you give me the deposit. Mm-hmm. I sell that contract to the debt fund. They pay me, and then as you're making your annu- your monthly payments, I'm satisfying that debt. Wow! Right. So they don't have to get the kind. They're not uh, regulated by by the same kind of mortgage laws because they're financing the developer and allowing the developer to extend better payment terms. That's quite creative. Very creative. Nice but one. but it's even more interesting. Because you've got this debt fund, right? So they're offering the debt at twelve percent, but they're also giving nine percent to their investors. Oh. Right. So imagine you've got folks that are sitting in a crowd, they're watching their currency, the value of their currency to deteriorate before their eyes. What if they were able to invest in a fund that was buying these housing contracts with full transparency? Like you can see, there's the house it's sitting right there. How many houses? audited by KPMG. Like, you can see where this could possibly go. Right? So it's now you're buying T-bills, but you really don't know what the Ministry of Finance is doing. Right? They're, they're floating these bonds, they're borrowing, they can't pay, their, they can't pay some of these debts, then they get yeah. caught out, then yeah. where, what's the value of your T-bill, what's the value of the currency? How do you hedge against that? Right? Nothing wrong with having a diversified portfolio. Buying some T bills in different jurisdictions, great. If you've got the money to do that, right? but 
I think that there's real estate offers. Most banks are rooted in real estate. And if you get a loan, you know, if you go, if you dig deep enough, there's some asset that's been collateralized to secure the loan at some level. Right. But they're basically these trust institutions and either you trust the guy that's giving you the banking license or you don't, you know, and I think that we're in a period where people are more distrustful of government. Right? So they're looking for things that they can invest in and feel like, yeah. um, you know, well, we're concerned about the dollar, we're concerned about the pound, we're concerned about the CD, right? But you can just kind of draw a box around it and feel like you've got something that's harder to, uh, you know, if I, if I can print the money <laughs> in my basement, <laughs> right? Like you can't do that with a house. Right? It's much more difficult to confiscate property from somebody. It's mm-hmm. not that it can't be done. It's, it's happened in our history. Yeah. But like, at least now, you've got a constitutional protection against that. And you know, we've been a democracy for long enough that people have that confidence that, okay, listen, if I buy a house and the title's good, I own it. And uh, the value that's going to accrue to it as it appreciates, I can use that in, in various ways. Very interesting. Um, Tell me, Kofi, about how the, um, the, the Ghanaian economy, I think this is a good place to quickly, you know, um, park it at the state mm-hmm. of the Ghanaian economy. I've done a few episodes talking about it. Mm-hmm. I think right now we're in a place where I think it's one pound to 17.5 cities, which is ridiculous. I'm not sure what the dollar exchange rate is for those uh, listening from America, um, but also rising inflation, it's, it's, effect, it's impacting the cost of goods, commodities. Sure. and Yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing it in the real real estate uh, business um, from the developer and contracting side, it's wild. We literally will get an invoice that's valid for 24 hours, 48 hours. Wow. Because people just don't know how to price goods. So, I mean, we really have to stay on our toes and think about how to, how to purchase. Um, there was a post that we did recently that people responded well to because a lot of our vendors are local manufacturers and that gives us a bit more freedom um but again it's difficult to know who the good guys are but we've got enough of a track record in the industry to know that okay we can deal with these guys and we're going to get a a great quality product Mm. so from the insulated wall panels that we're using um from to the roofing trusses uh, this company called domod that produces that um ash foam has done an incredible job with our kitchens wardrobes um they've also furnished the model unit and i I didn't even know that they produce their own furniture they've got really nice furniture so it's nice to be able to not have to try and import um you know with hard currency items from china um and look for local alternatives we've we've got even a, a locally produced ceramic tile that's fantastic that we're using in the houses so um, the economy is challenging, but we have to contextualize it. Right? The economy of Ghana is tiny. Like literally the size of Albuquerque, New Mexico. There are probably people who've watched your show who, whose net worth could pay off our debt. Like it's wild. Mm-hmm. Right? So the amount of productivity that's required, the amount of creativity that's required for us to take a significant step forward, I think is not insurmountable. What does that mean? I mean, that this is something that we can sort out. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a question of having an organized approach um, and leveraging both the opportunities in the country and the access to resources and markets that sit in the diaspora. Okay. So the best, having like the best of both worlds. Yeah. yeah. How do you benefit from the arbitrage? Right. There's, there are differences in these economies. There's, you know, we were just talking about this podcast and, you know, you've got your, um, your cousin who's a top editor. How much, like, how difficult would it be to train editors in Ghana? who could do what he does, maybe 85% to the quality level, but then provide that as a service to all of Western Europe. 
Absolutely. I think this is happening. I mean, my previous guest, Samuel Brooksworth, remotely. Yeah. You know, Africa's fastest growing virtual assistance company. Yeah. So he's yeah, he's one person that's doing doing getting going into that market. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. He actually contacted me on LinkedIn nice. before he started the business. Yeah. And he was like, he, the question was, was quite simple. He's like, look, I'm considering making a, a move to Ghana. I said, listen, brother, <laughs> the market there. There's opportunities here, but you have to link it back. Absolutely. And I think what he's done is incredible. And it's still so many problems. He's done a fantastic job, honestly. And he's now looking to expand to other countries, which is mm-hmm. brilliant. And I think the fantastic thing here is that it hits so many different angles. You're helping to keep money within the economy. You're, you're creating jobs. You're um, making more profit margin. Mm-hmm. It ticks so many boxes. So I think we should look at keeping the wealth within the country where possible, um, like what you said as well, um, you know, supporting local or national, um, you know, designers, creators or providers, manufacturers, mm-hmm. etc., so that they can also, you know, be taken care of and we can support them and they can grow and it just makes this kind of domino effect happen. Absolutely. And how's, uh, how's the economy affected um, people purchasing units from Pokwasi Heights and you as a developer, uh, of course, it's affected you, but I mean, how, how has that affected you from the sense of, the, the units like you sure so from the market perspective again a lot of our market is das points mm. so we saw that even during covid you know i think a lot of people's savings grew because they didn't have money they'd have opportunity to spend it so i don't think there's a ghanaian on the planet That's who at point. some level doesn't have an, an interest in well, i mean that might be hyperbole but there's all there's a, a home sense that we have and it's it's beyond just ghanaians mm-hmm. Now you've got other West Africans who are buying property in Accra. You've got black Americans who are very interested in, in purchasing. I think the hurdle for a lot of uh, black American potential buyers is that they're used to buying properties with, um, with mortgages with low interest rates. So getting their mind around a cash purchase is a difficult thing to do. Yeah. I mean, because the mortgages, I think, well, the mortgage, the lowest rates you could probably get, maybe is it, is it 10, 12%? In Ghana, uh, if you're at diaspora, maybe 12, 13. Mm, and it's, right? it's quite high. It's quite high, yeah, on the dollar. But what I found is that if you've got the right product, um, like a, a $55,000 house, you're not, people aren't looking to carry that debt for 15 years, right? It's a car note. You know, $55,000 mortgage is usually $350,000, something like that, but... Five grand. Uh, a lot of folks, a lot of the professionals in the diaspora, they can pay that off in a couple of years. Yeah. So that's what you know. We've we've actually recently um, put in a two-year payment plan. Mm. Wonderful. Right? And then the, the plan is we can work with debt funds like the one I, I described in California mm. and sell that note, um, just to allow us to to speed up the cash flow and build more. Yeah, because you need you need cash to, so you can continue to build and. Went to repeat. Exactly. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So I, I kind of view our real estate product as almost as an export product. Right? Because this is what it's pulling in hard currency into the economy. Um, and creating employment. You know, that's not usually the driver as an entrepreneur, but we're seeing that as the effect. Right? That it's not a scenario where you've got local Ghanaians who are trying to figure out how to purchase these homes. Um, you know, and it, I, there is an opportunity for that, and but I think we also need to find products that that's going to appeal to even a broader um, demographic at the base. So I think we've got you know you've got the Ayamensa Park style two hundred thousand, Pukwasi mm-hmm. um, Heights coming at fifty five. It would be lovely to be able to create a product that's somewhere between twenty five and thirty thirty thousand. Is that your next goal to do that? That's always been the goal, but how how do you achieve that? Mm. Right. So you can in this economy. Yeah, well. you've got to take small steps. Yeah. Um, and you've got to also figure out what the trade-offs that the market yeah. it's not the demand curve isn't linear. Yeah. Right. Like you can't just keep making the house smaller and expect someone to buy it. Like you can create a product that some that people can afford but don't want, and people that want can't afford. Right. So you there are these pockets of demand. You've got to fine-tune it. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, we kind of at one point we decided, okay, let's up the quality a little bit at Pokwasi Heights, make the unit a little bigger, right? and cost a little bit more. 
but buyers wanted that level of quality and were prepared to pay a little bit more for that. So it's, it's um, you know, I think as we, we scale and we're, we attract uh, more favorable financing, um, it's interesting that like neither, neither administrations, we've never got a call from either governments to say, okay, well, listen, we're interested in what you're doing. How do, how do we help you scale it? Or how do, what lessons do you have for us? Right? Like, that conversation never happens. Why do you think that is? Uh, that's a fascinating question. We probably need a whole podcast <laughs> to talk whole about podcast that <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. But uh, we don't want to get into politics too much. Eh? There's other, yeah, there's other people um, about that. I mean, I think there's a, there's a space um, for the private sector to operate. Um, you know, we, we're kind of on separate tracks. They just kind of seem to do their own deals. Yeah, and, I, and I've seen the affordable housing deals from the last four administrations. You know, they, they've got different visions, different priorities, uh, but there's definitely a huge political entrepreneurship push where folks, you know, that are related to government or in government have influence and are able to kind of warp gravity towards projects that often aren't sustainable. And I don't know how familiar you are with some of these projects, but a lot of them have uh, consumed a huge amount of capital and have delivered very little. Yeah, and there are some, I know there's a whole bunch of developments that aren't completed lying around as well it's, it's a waste and heartbreaking it is heartbreaking and i'm sure you as a developer you're just thinking i could have been more economical about this my brother i'm telling you the amount of money they spent on consultants i could have finished the development <laughs> no, i mean forget the, forget the capital for the construction i'm yeah. telling you, just just the arranging and the consultants and the you know yeah. it's um but you 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 can see that um across the board and it's not unique to our government it's uh, i'm sure a similar amount of waste in you know pick a continent yeah i mean it's kind of the nature of the beast i suppose <laughs> again there's a whole podcast um that we could talk about just the missed opportunities of where the government could have collaborated better with entrepreneurs and other stakeholders to help the country be a bit more um prosperous i mean the year return is, is is one is one um example i mean that could be there all day um, just talking about all the different missed opportunities that they that they could have taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the, the okay. So you say, you say ninety percent of your um, of customers come from diaspora. Mm-hmm. Are there any particular? Is there any particular p- personas that are attracted to Pokasi Heights, for instance? The mix. The mixture. Yeah. Different different age groups. Mm-hmm. Um, folks from the states. Folks from the UK. Mm-hmm. And you must families. Yeah. Um, young professionals, single people—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's quite a mix. Mix, yeah. So it must be quite—it must be very in- useful data for you as well, because you could take all of this data and you could kind of look at it and just, you know, have a look at the numbers and say, okay, cool. For my next project, I probably want the house to be, but this price point, um, it has to look like this. It's, it can be targeted at this kind of person, that kind of person, that kind of person. So it must be very interesting. All the inquiries and the inbounds and. Um, all yeah, no, it's 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 fascinating because I think the uh, from a data perspective, yeah, from a data perspective, and there's a lot of there's trial and error in this industry. Um, I think it's true in every industry, and mm-hmm. nobody likes to make mistakes, but that's really how you get better. Yeah, right. Is you make mistakes, it's trial and error, um, and then you listen to the feedback. Yeah, right. so that's 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 typically been the the mo for us. Um, we've got ideas as engineers, as designers, yeah. as developers, and then uh, contact with the market, and they have other ideas. So sometimes you can bring them to your, around to your thinking, and other times you need to just change the product um, so you're meeting the demand. So it's a, it's a fascinating dance, <laughs> and it's nice when you actually have the wisdom of experience to fall back on, because um, it allows you to be more improvisational. Yeah, because you've got all this this uh, this feedback that's that's uh, accrued for years. Yeah, and um, well, it's an it's an exciting time to be in the industry, and I think to be in Ghana. Mm. Sure, um, there's good as a there's a growing black consciousness around um, not just political sovereignty, but also 
economic empowerment. A lot more people, let's say, from the UK, the US, maybe celebrities or just normal regular guys were coming in and investing, uh, wanted to move, wanted to set things up. And like what you said, some people are setting things up, putting some systems in place and then going back to their countries and then just creating jobs, but they're still abroad and sure. they're, benef- they're benefiting from um, the, 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 the startups or the business that they set up on the, on the ground in the country, mm-hmm. which is brilliant. Um, I want to go back onto um, discussing your, your, your projects. So one thing that I've noticed from both of your projects is they have, they've had quite a focus on the, the communal aspect. Sure. So like you talked about, now you meant to park, you've got the, the, you know, they've got the clubhouse, you've got the, the, maybe the basketball court, um, you know, it's the shared amenities. Mm-hmm. And similar thing for Pokwasi Heights, I think that maybe you have like, sh- there's access, to common access, the common place for access to water and things like that. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, actually the groundwater in Pokwasi is excellent because you're far enough away from Accra and the sea mm-hmm. that it's not salty. Yeah. Um, but you're, you know, so for us, it just made sense. We put in a few boreholes mm-hmm. and then you've got a community water distribution yeah. And it just, it saves people money. There's no reason for each house to have its own water tank. Yeah. Um, just to me, we've got to find ways to collaborate. We've got to find ways to live together and it's more efficient. Um, so security the same way. I, my thinking is, okay, let's secure the perimeter for 12 homes and have, and, and then you're paying a gate man for 12 homes as opposed to one for each house. Um, so these, these kinds of um, interventions shall we say it's more smarter thinking isn't it yeah yeah and yeah so the point, point i'm trying to get to is what we're, we're starting to see this kind of like kind of communal living kind of patterns not even just the projects you've done but i mean across the city sure and across the world mm-hmm. um i mean like, like, like for example i've seen um, the cantonment city projects when i went to ghana property expo yeah. seeing what they're trying to do with the kind of work play live um, theme, mm-hmm. and then you've got Petronia City that um, Freedom Jacobs and Nana Kwame Bediaku is working on. He wants to do something similar, mm-hmm. but maybe on a massive scale. And then you see in other African countries, they have similar kind of uh, projects going on where there's this common living, um, you could call it smart cities as well, in the future, where you're going to have all of these different amenities kind of working together in the, um, in the ecosystem, which is going to benefit everyone and be more efficient on a, on a resource perspective. Um, so my question is, what do you, where do you see like the future of like Ghana and Africa in terms of how um, developments are going to be and how we're all going to live? Are we going to be living more kind of like, is there going to be more of this communal co-living thing going on? Or are we still going to want to have, are we still going to want to build our own houses and live in our own areas, et cetera, and be a bit more isolated? It's a great question. I'm a huge fan of cities. Uh, somebody who spent a lot of time in New York City, um, university there and spent a you know a good amount of time in manhattan and brooklyn and i love the culture i love the fact that you can you're coming in contact with lots of different types of people from all over the world just the velocity of interactions right the type of people the different types of people coming up against each other it's uh, it's energizing it's invigorating it allows for new ideas to be born and created and shared and dispersed you just can't quite get in a more suburban vibe uh, arrangement. So I think the cities will endure. You're going to find more and more people attracted to cities. There's going to be more economic opportunities. What will be interesting to see um, is the impact of the digital revolution. And we also found that in COVID, a lot of people could do a heck of a lot of work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking about... Uh, about Samuel's company, right? And I actually had a friend who, who was working with a, actually about 15 years ago, parking tickets or municipal tickets um, in New York City were processed in Accra. Whoa. A company called DMI. Mm-hmm. And what they would do, so you'd, if, say, you had some trash in front of your house yeah. and they wrote you up, yeah. right? So there would be some beat cop who would scribble on a piece of paper. All of those tickets would get collected, scanned, sent to Ghana and they would have to just decipher what that cop had written. I think there's probably a double entry system where you had two people Mm -hmm. try and make sense of it. And if they came up with the same conclusion, 
then it would be greenlighted and you'd end up with that, you know, that write-up and that citation. Right, so that was 15 years ago. Um, another buddy of mine um, who's in the Philippines was running a similar institution. Um, but I'm off the back of that. And they were looking at, at uh, data processing and outsourcing. Uh, the challenge was that the real estate, the commercial real estate in Ghana was more expensive than it was, say, in India or in the Philippines. What was good was that it was on similar time zones. Right? So you had an overlap in your yeah. day. Yeah. Um, same, say, exactly. You know, if you're doing something for the UK, yeah. you know, outsourcing to Ghana makes a lot of sense. But the challenge was the electricity was more expensive in Accra. Nobody made any computers on the continent. So everything was imported. So your desktops were more expensive. Your labor may have been cheaper than parts of Asia, but maybe not as productive. So when they were doing the math, it didn't quite work. But I think we're at a stage, but that was before everybody's walking around with a smartphone. Mm. And so the question that I've been thinking about is like, how do we mobilize a lot of very sharp, um, well-educated Ghanaians of various age groups that they could do work and be paid off their phones. You know, they don't necessarily need to be in an office. They don't necessarily need to commute. Yeah. You know, and that was one of the issues with these employees. So you've got, you know, in India, they've got these massive setups where they've got dormitories and everything's kind of set up for digital workers or outsourcers. Um, but in Ghana, my uh, Filipino friend who was running um, that business, you would have uh, a key worker would come up and say, Hey, listen, uh, I need a two year rent advance. Right? Like, how do you, how do you manage that as an employer? Mm. Right? But can we find ways to mobilize Ghanaian youth or sharp? And find ways that they can use their brains on their smartphones. Right? Like, everybody knows about the Sakawa boys and you know, like that, those things can go good or bad, right? You can use that for some scam, credit card scam, but you can also create a whole business on the back of um, that creativity. Yeah. Um, you can use for good or bad, basically. Yeah. And we've just got to find as entrepreneurs, yeah. particularly folks like us who have the perspective. Yeah. You know, if you've never left Dansaman, you're not necessarily going to know. What the opportunities are in London, and you know, it's. I think just as we go back and forth, we're we're able to see those opportunities. And with these opportunities, I, I know, for example, cryptocurrency was one of the opportunities that people looked into during the lockdowns in, in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just going back to this whole theme of like development, real estate, and kind of like sustainable living, etc. So because of this whole work remote revolution mm-hmm. that started. People can now probably start to look outside Accra, for example, and they can start to maybe look to live outside if they have they're plugged into remote working and opportunities to make money online. Absolutely, yeah. Digital digital nomads. You can live in a brewery as far as you've got internet connection, and you can edit and write and hop on uh, a Zoom call from time to time. Yeah, and do you think this will then push um, demand for property outside of Accra as well? I think given the population dynamics, there's going to be demand everywhere. Like when I sit back and I look at the market, there's huge demand in every segment. Mm, And the developers were just, were not able to meet the needs of the market at this point. We're not able to meet the needs. We're not able to meet those needs yet. You know, if you look at something like Amos Park, there's not a city in Africa that couldn't use 10. I couldn't use 10 of similar developments. Mm. You know, the whole continent. Yeah, I've been yeah. popping around to a few different countries. Yeah. Um, and there's, 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 a, there's a need for that. What you're saying is there's always going to be a demand for all of these different products. Yeah. And that's where the opportunity is. And that's where there's always going to be some kind of opportunity. Absolutely. Really enjoy this conversation, Coffee. Um, just want to kind of move on to the final bit of this conversation. So mm-hmm. I'm sure people have approached you as they've been buying from you as, as maybe a gateway into 
to Ghana. So um, you, as someone that's been living, working, or having a business for about 10, 20 years, mm-hmm. um, what, what advice do you tend to give to those who are looking to relocate or move to Ghana, invest in Ghana, also live in Ghana as well? Sure, sure. So, yeah, that's a conversation that comes up often. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I'm, there are so many ways to approach the country. And I think if you're an entrepreneur, it's, it's almost a calling. And I think that that's usually the driver, that you see an opportunity. There's something that's just not quite right. And you realize that there's some set of resources that you specifically have where you can meet that need. So that's usually, once you have that driver, um, and you're disciplined, and uh, you can you can live within your means. You it, you have the patience that's required to succeed over a long longer time horizon. Yeah. Right? And then if you can find people, like for me, my training is in African American studies, literature, and history. Right. So I'm not an engineer. I'm not an architect, but it's allowed me to have the humility learn from everybody because I'm not necessarily supposed to know anything so whether it's economics or finance banking I've I've allowed myself to sit at the feet of various people from various different disciplines and ask lots of questions and assimilate as much of that as I can try things and uh, you know you just keep what works so I think the rate of change that I find in Accra, there's, a, there's just huge opportunities for everybody in, in an array of different fields. So if you're looking to move back um, and you're, you've, you've got a foot in the developed world, there's, uh, there are great opportunities for you. Awesome. And what, what um, pitfalls would you share with those who are looking to make, make those moves? That, that you can share from your years of experience, whether it's yeah, investing, living, or relocating? I think it's important to just take a very humble, and I think people, there's a conversation around this, that sometimes mm. things aren't quite as easy as they look, that there, there may be a reason um, that things aren't happening the way you may expect them. So, you know, it's not as, as easy as saying, okay, well, there's, there's a, a gap in the market, and I can pluck this thing that's working in Bristol and plop it into a cry and make millions. You know, oftentimes there's a reason why there's, you know, that fit might need some adjustment. So you have to maybe sandbox it and start small. Um, And then, you know, I think it's true probably anywhere in the world. You just want to make sure that you are, you've provisioned, the business properly and uh, you've got some contingency plans if things take longer than you expect. Yeah, I mean, it's the, I think there's always going to be universal principles that you can take if you're moving to a country like Ghana. I mean, you build and then you te- build, you test, you iterate, go back to the market, come okay. back, tweak, yeah. and then launch and then, you know, improve your, your version and, you know, hopefully tweak until you get it right. It sounds like that's what you've been doing with some of your projects as well. I mean, seeing what the market wants, trying to make a little fine-tuning Absolutely. tweaks here and there, and then to get that out to the, get, get back out on the market and then hopefully make that sell and then take that knowledge into your next projects. Exactly. That's exactly right. Wonderful. I really enjoyed having you here, Kofi. Adrian, Do you have any you. announcements that you want to make in terms of, uh, do you still have some units that you're selling? Or? Yeah, we do. So essentially what we do is we just build in phases. Okay. So we'll, we'll build phase one, sell it off, build mm-hmm. phase two, sell it off. We're in the, in the midst of phase three now, so I suspect as we're getting ready for Christmas and yeah. the whole diasporian <laughs> tribe descends on Ghana, uh, it shouldn't take us very long to, to move those, but once those are gone, we'll put some more on the market. Nice. So it's more or less, would you say it's, it's kind of selling itself at this rate, or it's still a little bit of... Yeah, you know, we have an interesting strategy. So we work with a lot of, uh, of YouTubers and um, and also on LinkedIn. Yeah, I've I've just been really. It's really good LinkedIn, isn't it? It's wild. Yeah. 
because it's like Facebook in 2014, the organic reach is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when one person comments or likes then other people in their network see it, mm -hmm. and then there's just this, um, network effect that happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and just in terms of finding, I've got a, a network of about 30,000 Ghanaians, Whoa. um, mostly professionals in the, in the diaspora. And it's, it's, I've been building that for the past four years and I've met so many incredible people and just, you know, linked up sometimes like, Hey, let's hop in a zoo and have a chat about something. Um, and then you can find, you can find your market mm. and it's not easy. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not that difficult to identify a Ghanaian in the diaspora. <laughs> so, you know, you, just, you find the names, you're looking at various yeah. cities, but I'll pop up, you know, if I go and visit some friends in Chicago, at a network of 600 Ghanaian professionals that I can yeah. reach out to and ask, oh, well, hey, is there an event that I should be attending? Uh, and everybody's always so helpful. So I think it's a combination of telling the story on, on YouTube and then multiplying that by the network on LinkedIn. That's really been my formula. So yeah. you know, I was, uh, I've tried to take a, a page out of Elon's book, you know, you never see a Tesla ad. Yeah. Right. But he's just kind of like this one man PR machine. A personal brand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, you know, if you see a billboard, that's great. Mm -hmm. But you walk through a home with Vanessa Camby or with Ivy Prosper. Yeah. Right. And you really get a sense of, you can spend 20 minutes and see, okay, well, how much space is there in the scullery? And yeah, you know, well, you know, you, you got a sense of, how much space there is in the in the, in the, in the living living room? Right? It's it's more tactile, and you it's um, so for us to, to be able to communicate with that level of specificity to a global audience, pinpointing Ghanaians in the diaspora, and um, again the the Ghanaian, particularly the Ghanaian diaspora in, in the UK, is massively supportive. Mm -hmm. um, a number of associations. The overlap. You see people who run the real estate um, diaspora community mm. supporting the people who run the kind of more social. <laughs> and then, so everyone's all linked up. And yeah. Everybody comes out for each other's events. Yeah. You know, and then there's uh, the, the nursing association and the doctors and dentists, and yeah. everybody's rooting for each other. Yeah. Right? It's just a really warm environment. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've really felt. Uh, lucky to be able to build into particularly the London diaspora community, share content. Uh, and you're right, people, they share. You know, people who maybe, maybe they bought a house, maybe they have no intention of buying a house, but they just think, oh, this is an interesting thing. And, yeah. and um, you know, so that's allowed me to basically zero out my marketing budget and produce and sell houses cheaper. Yeah. So it's, uh, the, the technology is, has also been an enabler. Mm. Amazing. So, I mean, it seems like the, the, the trick here is in the modern day and age is to um, <clears throat> build build a network or community and then build build trust and familiarity with them and, you know, tell a story or show them a, you know, show them whether it's a skill set or something, let them, you know, build trust in you and then you'll be able to sell a product or service to that specific circle group of people. That tends to be like, I think, a, a more popular way of uh, doing business these days, especially with the social media internet and the content. So it's quite interesting how that's working for you. Very, very interesting. And um, you mentioned the UK community is uh, um, quite vibrant and very supportive. I know we're wrapping up now. Just quickly want to um, ask you before we go, mm -hmm. um, how, is the, how does the American, African-American community respond to, 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 to what you're doing? Because, um, for example, I know there's a few Ghanaian communities in, 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 in the US, whether it's in New York or I think Ohio and Columbus. I think sure, yeah. I think Kwame, yeah, Kwame Christian, one of my guests, he's, he's from there. He's not Ghanaian, but actually he's surrounded by the Ghanaian community. Interesting. Like I think Samuel Badu from Flurry, you know, you mm. think he's part of that. So how does that, how does the Ameri African-American community respond to, um, to what you're doing? As well? So when you say African-American, you mean the Ghanaian-American The Ghanaian community. The Ghanaian-American, okay. that's Sure, Ghanaian-American community. Um, it's, it's hard to call it a community because it's such a massive country. And you also have a lot of Ghanaians who are distributed um, in places, you know, in little towns and, and villages and cities that you haven't even heard of. Yeah. 
So you do have concentrations in New York, in D.C., um, in parts of California, in Texas, Chicago. So, but it's, you know, to get from L.A. to New York, you may as well be going to London. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. right. it's huge. Yes. The massive, yeah. Four or five hour flight. Yeah. All right. So people aren't bumping into each other. So you don't have that same density. Mm. Um, and, and I think um, the U.S., it's uh, it maybe a wealthier diaspora, um, but it's not quite as tight-knit. Mm. That's the key thing. That's the key that differentiator here. Yep. Yeah. Murphy, this has been fantastic. Um, where can everyone find you? So the best way to get in touch with me is on LinkedIn, <laughs> as you know. <laughs> Okay, just LinkedIn. That's 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 the only call to action. Just check me out on LinkedIn. Sure, sure, no problem. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. So that's it for season four, guys. Um, we have Mr. Coffee Anku here, real estate investor and the partner over at Mental Park and Pokasi Heights. Um, just to remind you for today's show notes, please head over to thesoundofacrowd.com forward slash Coffee Anku. That's K O F I A N K U, and. On your way out whether you're watching youtube or listening to podcast platforms please like subscribe um please do share and leave us a review for listening on apple or spotify and uh we will catch you on season five thank you so much cheers thanks